Well, turn in your Bibles to a really famous passage, Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look really at just two verses. It, it, this is a, it's a famous passage, the Old Testament passage. Uh, passage foreshadows the one who would become a man who would rule in righteousness and justice. And this one, of course, is Jesus, that the, the one born of Mary and Bethlehem is Jesus as the Savior and the King. This is who this passage is talking about. So we're going to look at it this morning. And of course, it's the Christmas time. And, and this is a little bit, uh, a little bit more theological than just a story. So kind of get ready to dig in just a little bit because there's a lot in this passage that uh, if you go real, if you go fast, you miss it. But if you go slow, you get to see it. So as we start, Isaac Watts wrote a lot of hymns. In fact, a large number of them, they're found in hymnals. Uh, His classic song, his classic Christmas song is Joy to the World. Everybody says, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive... Or king, okay, so usually we think about this song, we think about the birth of Christ, and it's true that we could say the king, the one that was born in Bethlehem is the king of the Jews, which is true, but uh, when you think about the earth receiving the king, that's going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. So some people say that joy to the world really is more of a second coming passage or song rather than a first coming, but either, either one. The last verse of joy to the world says, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. He's not reigning yet. When we think about Jesus Christ, we have to understand the two comings of Christ. The first time he came, he came to be born in Bethlehem as a baby, to die, to pay for the sins of mankind. He will come a second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule the world. And so the first coming, a child is born. The second coming, the government will be upon his shoulders. The reason you say, well, that's a little bit weird way to say it. I'm saying it exactly as Isaiah said it. That's why we wanted to look at this passage this morning. And let's get a little background on the passage just for fun. And uh, if we, when we get through, we'll go to the Grow Group time and you can talk questions and things like that. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet who wrote about 700 years before Jesus was ever born. So when I, he wrote Isaiah 53, which is basically about the suffering servant, and the, that's 700 years before Jesus ever came into the world. In the book that bears his name, he wrote a dual message. And the message was this. His message was a message of judgment and restoration. He told the nation of Israel that if they continued in the path they were going, God would judge them and remove them from the land, and he would allow the Babylonians to come get them. And that's exactly what happened. But he also talked about restoration, that God would restore it all. And so all the way back and forth in the book, there's judgment and restoration, judgment and restoration. And so we're going to see that. Let me give you sort of this little outline of these, this little section. Uh, we're going to really highlight verses 6 and 7, but I want you to put the whole thing together. The, the first part is the restoration. He promises restoration. Then he talks about the Messiah, who he is and what he's done, and then how it will all be accomplished. And so Isaiah 9 is a great passage, and it's really dealing with the Messiah and the Savior of the world and and the birth of the Messiah, and we'll see that. So let's start with restoration just for a minute, and just notice, look at verse 1. But there will be no more what? Gloom. Let's gloom. Say gloom. No more gloom. Because things, because gloom is that they, they sinned, they got in trouble, God takes them off into captivity. But he says, there'll be no more gloom for who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun, the land of Napoli with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. He says, one of these days, it's going to be glorious. And then look what he says in verse 2. These people, the people who walk in darkness, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Who do you think of as the light? Who do you think of as the light? Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world, isn't he? The light is the Messiah. 
And so in verse 2, he says, the people who have been in this gloom and darkness, there's not going to be gloom and darkness anymore. The Messiah is coming. And then verse 3 says, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. There's going to be a lot of joy. Verse 4, you will break the yoke of their burden. They're going to get away from their enemies. And then even verse 5, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle and the cloak and blood will be for the... He says, we're going to win everything. And one of these days, God's going to send the Messiah, the, the King of Kings and, and the, the, the Savior of the world. And that's what he says. So that's the message. This is the, the, the good part. Wow, he's coming. And then he's going to explain about this Messiah, his person and work. And this is why I want you to see this verse because it's so powerful. Verses 6 and 7. Let me read verses 6 and 7 just through just for you to listen to it. Listen to this. For a son will be born, to, excuse me, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and, notice, and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's what we see. And so these two verses tell us about this Messiah, the one that there's not going to be one day there'll be no more gloom. One of these days there's going to be a light. There's going to be joy and happiness. And why is it? It's because of the Messiah, his person and his work. Who is he? Well, let's look at the person of the Messiah. Who is he? Look at verse 6. He said, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And so as we look at him, there's four things. There's going to be a child, and a son, and a king, and then four different names. This is what he says. This is what's coming. This is the one that's going to stop the gloom and be the light. And think about this. The child, that's a human being. The son, that's deity. The king, that's the rule. And the names, that's his character. So let's take a look at this one that he says, these four things. The first one is a child. For a child will be born to us. We think about the birth. We, we read the story of Mary going to have a baby, and they go to Bethlehem, and then they're out in the middle of basically nowhere, So and they've got this feed trough, and suddenly... It was time and the baby was born. The child was born. This is humanity. This is the flesh. It's important to realize that the Messiah came to pay for the sins of mankind. The only payment that God would accept for man's sin is a man's payment, a perfect man's payment. We always talk about that. A lot of times I'll raise a question in the 2-2 class and I'll say, does God want a human sacrifice? And everybody goes, no. And I go, yes, he does. The human sacrifice is Jesus. The only sacrifice to pay for human being sins is a perfect human, Jesus Christ. That's why he had to become a human being. There was a sign, Isaiah seven fourteen. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with a child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the sign that this baby is coming, and Jesus is the fulfillment. In Matthew chapter 1, angel speaks to Joseph. Let me put this up. Matthew chapter 1, 21, 22, 23, it fulfills Isaiah 7, 14. It says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because this is the exact thing that the virgin's going to have a child, and she'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. 
you go back to Luke and the promise to Mary that she was going to have a baby and he would sit on the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there would be no end. Wow. Of course, Mary goes, uh, how's that going to work? Because I'm a virgin. And basically the angel could have said, that's exactly what the passage says. You have to be a virgin. That's what the prophecy is. So the first thing I want you to think about is the child will be born. And a little more than 2,000 years ago, that child was born. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem as the Savior of the world. There's more, though. Not only is a child born, but the son will be given. Now, you understand that don't read these verses and say, a child will be born, the son will be given to us, and that's talking about his birth. No, the child will be born is talking about his birth, but the son will be given is not talking about his birth. I mean, it's talking about that he's given as a born one, but he's always existed. The son was not born. The son was given. The son has always existed. Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God. The son has always existed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always existing from all time. Jesus Christ is the eternal God, always existing for all time. One of the uh, famous Bible teachers in America taught about four years ago that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God until he became a human being. The Bible calls him the eternal Son, not just when he became a person. Jesus Christ has always existed as the Son of God. So in this passage, he says, a child will be born to us, that's humanity. The Son will be given to us, that's the deity, the eternal Son of God. How do we know that? How do we know he's always existed? Well, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, his goings forth are from long ago, from eternity. Jesus Christ has always existed. Just remember that when Jesus became a human being, when he was the Virgin Mary and Jesus Christ was born, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus. That's Jesus leaving the glories of heaven to become a person. Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, his son, born of a woman. The son was born. The son's always there. The child and the son, his goings forth from ever, lasting. And then he says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. He's the king. The government will be on his shoulders. You ever wondered why it says the government will be on his shoulders? Well, at a wedding, Jewish wedding, the bride's veil is taken off and placed on the shoulder of the groom, saying that he is the one that will take care of her, that the government is on his shoulders, so to speak. The marriage is on his shoulders. So when it says here, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, that's saying Jesus Christ is the king, and he will rule the world. He'll rule everything. The government will be upon his shoulders. That's why in the, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, he is born king of the Jews. When you study it and read it, where's the one born king of the Jews? We just looked. We're going to see it. If you were here in the first service, we're, we're doing it, Matthew 2. If you're not been here already in the second service, we'll look at Matthew 2, and we'll talk about the one born king of the Jews. I love Revelation 19. Revelation 19.11, the heavens open and he returns as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who he is. He's the king. That's why the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to rule the world. He's going to rule the world forever and ever. You realize that, don't you? Jesus Christ is the king. And we talk about governments and we gripe about things and say this and this and all that guy over there in that country and this guy over there. One of these days there's going to be a, ru a ruler 
who will rule in righteousness and justice, according to Psalm 2, with a rod of iron. He will rule perfectly as the perfect King of kings and the Lord of lords. The government of the world will be upon his shoulders. So this passage says, this child will be born, but the son will be given, and he will be the king. The government will be upon his shoulders. And then he's got four names. that He gives four names. If the child is born, that's human. Son is given deity. The government on the shoulder, he's the king. And then he's got four names that, that he lists here, and they all speak of him as the Messiah. Notice what they are. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. That's what he's, he's called. He's called, first of all, the Wonderful Counselor. He knows everything. He knows what's best. I, I talk to people sometimes who they've gone to a human counselor, and they'll go and they'll say something like, I didn't help at all. <laughs> or maybe it helped, but maybe it didn't. But you know what? He's the wonderful counselor. And wonderful in the Hebrew has this idea of almost beyond what you can imagine. It doesn't just mean like, oh, that was wonderful. It was like, I wonder, it's beyond what I can imagine. He's the wonderful counselor. He's beyond everything we can imagine. He knows what's best. He knows how to meet our needs. In him, according to Colossians, are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's who he is. He's also the mighty God. It's talking about his power. He's the mighty God. His power and ability, he knows everything. He can do everything. He is the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. He loves us. He will bring all things to pass. He is the mighty God. He can do anything he chooses to do. He's the eternal father. That seems a little strange. We thought, oh, I thought he was the son. Well, he is. But the idea there is called the father of eternity. We translated eternal father, but he's the father, the master of eternity, which is the idea is that it goes on forever, that he's the same yesterday today and forever. So he's not really calling him a father. He's saying he's the father of eternity. And that's a pretty powerful statement. On and on and on. And then finally, the one that everybody loves, he's the prince of peace. He's the one who brings peace. Everybody wants peace. Everybody, nobody wants conflict. Everybody's tired of emptiness, running, longing for something more. You talk to people even at Christmas time and people are sad. You know, it's funny that everybody says Christmas time is always the wonderful time of the year and everything. But a lot of people are sad at Christmas time. There's a lot of heartache and sadness, things of people who have passed away and things that are going on and things aren't as happy as everybody thinks they are. And everybody thinks everybody else is sitting around a tree loving one another and you're not. And then what you realize is a lot of them aren't sitting around a tree loving and one another either. And the problem is there's just a lot of sadness and conflict and problems, and yet he's the Prince of Peace. And one day when he comes, he will bring peace to this world. And when we believe in him, as Messiah said, when we believe in him to give us eternal life, we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. That's where you get it. It's the only way you can have it. Even at Christmas time, there is no peace. But he's the counselor, God the eternal one, the one who brings peace. So who is he? He's the child. He's the human being, but he's the son of God. He's God. He's the king. The government's going to be on his shoulders. And he's all of those things, the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, all of those. That's who he is. Wow. So that's sort of who he is. But the passage goes on and tells us what he's going to do. And when you really look at it, you see... Both of his comings, you know, you think about it, Christ's work based on his two comings. His first time he came to be born, that's what we just saw. Unto us the child is born, unto us the son is given. But then there's a second part. He's coming to reign. The government 
will be upon his shoulders. So let's look at the, the first fact that the child is born. The child, the Savior, enters the world. I, I put these verses, and uh, you know them. Let, let me do this. I, I, they're just so good. You have to read them. Listen to this. Luke 2, 6, and 7. While they were there, of course, they, Joseph and Mary have gone from Galilee, uh, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, in order to register... She, they were engaged and she was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a feed trough, a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The child is born. Luke tells us the child is born. The Savior is coming to the world. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. That's why he came. Came to die. What did John chapter 10? I lay down my life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd dies for the sheep. I lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down and I take it back up again. That's who he is. The one born in Bethlehem, the prophet says, he is that one. He is that, that, the, the child born to pay for sin. But there's a second part. First coming, the birth of the child was born to pay for sin. But the second coming, he's coming to reign as the king. If you notice, again in verse 6, and the government will be on his shoulders... But verse 7 gives us the details. There will be no end to his government. There won't be a term. They won't be like, how many terms does he get to serve? Is it a four-year term? To you? No. He's the eternal king. And he will rule. There are no term limits when Jesus takes over. And we'll be so glad, won't we? When the righteous God takes the throne of David. Notice verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government, or of what? Peace, two things. Now, I want you to notice something. He didn't say there'll be no end to his government. He said there will be no end to the increase of his government. It will continue to get bigger and bigger and rule in righteousness and justice. Wow. Luke 1, 31 through 33, that's where the angel says to Mary, he will take the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He will rule in righteousness and justice. He will establish and uphold righteousness and justice. That's why I love it, because notice it says, there will be no end to his government, uh, to the increase of his government, or of peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. You know, we looked at the life of David when we saw 1 Samuel. Actually, part of, you know, saw it in 2 Samuel, his life in a lot more detail. David was an amazing person. But we look at him and we go, but boy, he messed up a lot. Even though he messed up a lot, it is the throne of David that Jesus sits on. And David will be under Jesus as a ruler. So if you say, it's too late for me, I've blown it. I've messed up. God can't use me. Well, even if he used me, he just used me a little bit. You understand if he took David, who murdered and adultery, and was a terrible father, and takes him and uses him to rule Israel. What can he do with your life? It's never too late. You've never messed up too much. In fact, he's in the, that's his, his, his thing. His thing is, I come to people who have messed up. You know, the people that don't need a doctor, I don't come. But the truth is, all of us need doctors. He's come for all of us. And so don't ever sit out there and say, God can't ever use me. 
Because if you want to be used, he will use you right now and forever. And so of the government, there'll be no end. On the throne of David, he will sit on it and he will establish it and uphold it with, look, justice and righteousness. Don't we wish there were justice and righteousness? Well, let me say this. In our relationship with God, we do not want justice or righteousness in that way. We want him to be merciful and gracious. But as far as a kingdom and a ruling, we want just and righteousness. We want things to be right. And when he takes over, it's going to be right. It's going to be right. A lot of times people don't understand it, but it says he rules with a rod of what? Of iron. That means he, he, people don't get away with anything. You realize when he's the king in the thousand-year reign, not the eternal state, but the thousand-year reign, there'll be people just like us, be regular bodies. And then there'll be us who have glorified bodies, and we won't sin. So we can look at other people and go, you messed up, but we don't. Right? But guess what? When these people mess up, there are going to be a whole bunch of people in the kingdom who will rebel against Jesus Christ, but they won't get very far. Because he rules with a rod of what? Iron. Wow. Notice this. From then on and evermore. How long will he rule? Forever and ever. When does he start his rule? Hmm? When he comes back, not in the clouds, right? Because he's going to come back, but it's going to be in the clouds and we'll be gone. He'll start his kingdom when he comes back to the earth, when he comes as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to set up a kingdom and he will rule for a thousand years and rule in righteousness and justice. Then what's going to happen? Then there'll be a great white throne judgment. Then he'll make a, a new heavens and a new earth and an eternal state. And then he will rule for all eternity as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It says from then on and forevermore, forevermore. Wow. First time the child was born to pay for sin. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Second thing, second coming, second thing is the Son is given. The eternal Son of God is the King of kings and he will rule in righteousness and justice forever. This is Isaiah talking about this 700 years before Jesus was born. Do you think he understood every bit of this? I don't think he understood a lot of it. In fact, Jesus said, boy, there are some of these guys wrote this stuff. They would love to see what you're seeing. He's talking to his disciples. He said, they would love to see what you're seeing because they didn't know everything they wrote. They didn't understand it all. That takes us to the third part. How, how is this going to be accomplished? Notice the very end. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The first coming of Jesus Christ, the Father sent the Son. He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up, age 30, began his ministry. When Jesus did his ministry, he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit based on what the Father told him to do. Do you understand that? Jesus wasn't going around saying, this is what I think I'll do next. He says, I do what the Father tells me to do. My, I am working because my Father is working. And Jesus did his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when they say they blasphemy the Holy Spirit, blasphemy the Holy Spirit is attributing the works of Jesus to the devil. And Jesus did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he says you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You can say that the Holy Spirit is actually the devil and that Jesus' work was in the devil. So when you think about it, 
How's it going to be accomplished? The Lord's going to bring it to pass. And I love this because the word, notice it says, how's this going to be, uh, how is this going to happen? The zeal of the Lord, and it's all four capital letters. That's the personal name of God. The Lord, the God, the true God, the all-powerful God will bring it to pass. And that's why I love that verse right there. God so loved us, he gave his son to die on the cross and pay for sin, that whoever would do what? What do you have to do? Repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down an aisle, make him Lord of your life, live a faithful life. Isn't that what you hear all the time? What's the message? Whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and we were saying, isn't it amazing? You can get a book, and you can read this author, and on this page he says, salvation is a gift by faith. And you turn the page and it says, you need to repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, and be willing to live for him. And they don't even understand, they just contradicted themselves. It's either works or grace, and if it's works, it is no longer grace. Just remember that. One work takes away grace. It is by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The Lord will accomplish all of this. The Lord is the one who sent the son. The child was born. The son was given. He's going to have the government. He's got all those good names. And this government will have no end. He will take the throne of his father, David. Jesus entered the world the first time to be born, to live, to die, to pay for sins, go back to heaven, and to come a second time to the earth to take the throne of David and to rule the world forever. This verse tells us this. So let me give you some applications to this Christmas. Let's come to the one who can meet our needs. That's him. He is. He's the Savior of the world. The time of joy. We all say joy, but for many it's sorrow and sadness. He has the answers. Jesus has the answers. Because he's everything. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, everlasting Father. He is the Savior. He is God who became a man. That's who he is. He's God who became a man, the child born and the son given. And you may have never thought about Isaiah 9, 6 by saying a child will be born and the son will be given. You may have never realized that's human and deity side by side. That's what it is. That's why he said it that way. He didn't have to say it that way. He could say a baby will be born to us, a child will be born to us. That's not what he says. He says a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us, not born. He is the king of all the earth. He is the majestic one. So this Christmas season, when we, when we all get sad, because there'll be times to be sad. We'll think about the people that used to be with us at Christmas and they're not there anymore. And we'll think about how everybody else seems to be happy but us. And there'll be a lot of lonely people. Always is. At this time, come to the one who's always there. He's the Savior. He's God. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the father of eternity. He's the one that can give you peace. He's our only one. Second thing is, remember why Jesus comes to the earth. The first time he came, why? It was to die and rise again to pay for sin. The baby born in Bethlehem was born to die. I can still... Remember the passage in Luke where they bring Jesus to the temple. They already took him eight days after his birth. They took him to the temple, had him circumcised and named. 33 more days later, when it basically gets right at the 40th day, but seven days and then the eighth gate counted in there in the 33. So on the 40th day, they come up there 
and they're going to uh, basically offer sacrifice to buy him back because the firstborn son always belonged to God and they had to purchase their firstborn sons back. And there was this man there, and his name was Simeon. He had already been told by God, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And he's old. And he's saying, you know, it's got to be getting close because I'm about to die. And the Holy Spirit told him, go into the temple this day at this time. And when he went into the temple, he saw Joseph and Mary with the baby. He knew it right then. He walked over and said, let me hold your baby. And he said, I can die, Lord. I have seen the Savior of the world. He came the first time to die, but he's coming the second time to reign in righteousness and justice. We all wish he, you know, we all wish it was happening now. We all know this, though. Those are the coming to the earth. There's going to be another coming in the clouds. He's not coming to the earth, but he's coming to the clouds, and he's going to get us. The believers now, the church, the body of Christ, he's going to come in the clouds. There'll be a voice, a shout of the archangel, the trumpet of God. Dead in Christ rise first. We who are out of the main, we caught up together with him. Thus we'll meet the Lord in the air, and we'll always be together. That's going to happen. And then when he comes the second time to reign, we're coming with him, riding on horses. Susie, you'll be happy about that. Yeah. And I'll just be hanging on for dear life. <laughs>